At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. Today, we're hitting one of those topics that I am super passionate about, gets me fired up whenever I get there, whenever I have to talk about it in daily life or scripted life, whichever one you want to pick. It's the topic of supply of talented health professionals in America, or in other words, as people like to put on headlines everywhere, the physician shortage, and you can cue the dramatic music that goes along with that. We're talking today with Kyle Swinsky, the CEO of AM Opportunities, a firm out of Chicago that, well, Kyle, I guess is going to try to alleviate a lot of the pain points in American healthcare when it comes to a lack of physicians and a lack of access. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Christopher. Thank you. Like I said, this is a topic that really gets me fired up because it's it's a, something that people just put window dressing on and be like, oh, well, we're going to be short 300,000 million trillion bazillion physicians by this year. I'm like, those are throwaway numbers. Look at how many international people want, you know, good, competent physicians want to come to the United States. Look how many medical students we're graduating that cannot get trained and licensed. We're doing this to ourselves why are we doing this? Why is there a physician shortage right now when there's so many people raising their hand wanting to take care of Americans? It's a pipeline issue. I, I'm very fascinated about it. I've been working on this for the last 15 years. And really, our company is about getting international students into the country, as well as students from the United States into these pipelines. What we see is that workforce shortages tend to be upstream. Lots of different things, Christopher, lots of different things. I think on the international side, you mentioned already, there's licensing, getting access to training. The piece that we focus on a lot is the access to training piece, where if you can't get that clinical training, you're stuck in that, that place. Whether you're just starting medical school or even if you're a graduate of medical school, you have to get this training to move forward, to be licensed and to get into the workforce. And that's what our company is very focused on. So we know that a lot of people want to come in and take care of us, but yet there are obviously challenges and roadblocks. Walk through your situation, walk through your company when you're, you know, we're talking to, you know, very competent international doctors and they say, hey, I want to come to the U.S. to continue my training or take care of people. What does that look like? It's a marathon. It's a marathon. So you see so many people raise their hand wanting to join, grab the baton and join the profession. But there are many roadblocks. So to start, you know, imagine you're a, a medical student in India. The first thing you got to think about is the actual training itself. There are blocks where to join the residency programs in the United States, uh, that is your entry point into the workforce through all the specialties, you have to have blocks of training. 
clinical rotations. Clinical rotations are about half of all healthcare education. You go to the classroom for your first two or three years, the first half, but then you go around learning what life is like on the job, going to cardiology, neurology, all the specialties. And that's how physicians and many other healthcare workers figure out their, their specialty, their expertise. If you're an international student, you need about three months of these in the United States to be allowed to apply to many of these residency programs. That's one bottleneck. The second is even if you have that training, it's really about acculturating in the system. And, and why is this important? It's because about 27% of U.S. physicians are internationally trained. So it's obviously a big piece to solving the shortages. And that's really why we believe it's super important to get them that access. Now, my understanding, Kyle, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding is that U.S. medical schools are graduating more doctors, MDs and DOs than ever before. But the shortage is that next step as far as residency slots go. So with that understanding, we're going to have people listening. They're saying, Kyle, what's going on? We, we need to place our U.S. trained physicians in these residency spots rather than bringing in international students that are all competing for that same residency spot. What's your response? Well, if you look at just last year's match, we had many, many emergency medicine positions unfilled. Rural, underserved areas tend to not get filled as much as those popular metro academic medical centers. Yes, the residency slots are definitely a cap, but there are gaps, especially in rural care. So one thing we see is that international medical graduates, they gravitate towards primary care. Uh, and that's a big piece of what, what we're doing is we're getting students into those primary care locations and rural clinics in South Dakota or 100 miles outside of Chicago, because those are the areas that a lot of the students that are from the United States, they'll apply out there. But it's an unfortunate situation where there's a lot more student debt in the United States. So when you think about a U.S. medical student, Yes, there are a limited amount of residency slots, and a majority of U.S. medical students are matching, so they're capped. But a lot of times you see a lot of those students go more subspecialized um, because they have to pay that debt back. And there are a lot of, lot of nuances in that, but I would, I would say the reason why it's so important to keep that pipeline international medical graduates is, again, because it's 27% or 23%, uh, depending on the year you look. But I would also argue that the rural care situation, it's not just the IMGs that are filling that now. So you bring up a really good point about what would the, U the U.S. domestic students think. There are segments of domestic students, too, that are taking that up in different forms and fashions. So there are U.S. citizens that study abroad and then come back. A great example is there's a great medical school in Mexico that about 150 U.S. citizens go and study every year, and they all come back to the United States majority of them are bilingual, and it's a super critical pipeline, especially when we know in patient care, speaking the language of the patient is really, really important. So, I mean, there's a lot of nuances of why it's important, but if you cut, if you cut that pipeline out, um, there's so many more benefits aside from they're driven into primary care, speaking the language of the patients, and as such. It's a great point, and that's why I was excited about this conversation, obviously, as that's coming through, that there's so many different layers to reacting to that headline of U.S. Is, has a shortage of physicians. No one's going to be able to see the doctor. I said, well, okay, let's let's take a let's take a beat. Let's look at this. Where is the shortage happening? And a lot of fingers are pointed at, well, just the assumption of, well, nobody wants to go into medicine because it's a mess, you know, business wise. And I want to talk about that too. But then the people that look into it say, 
well, wait a minute. Our medical schools are graduating a ton of people. It must be the residency spots because, you know, residency funding, unfortunately, is is suffering from interference from the federal government. We're tied at, you know, late 90s funding levels. There's just not enough to keep up with demand. But then you come in and say, well, yes, that's all true. But the reason why we need international students coming in is because our U.S. students are saddled with debt. So thank you, higher education. Big shout out right there. And also, they're going to these subspecialties for you know multiple reasons, but abandoning primary care, abandoning ER. And so in a way, you are fulfilling, you know, you're bringing in extra demand where there might be oversupplies of subspecialties and undersupply. And that's where your group can help achieve that equilibrium and try to help all of our patients out as, as much as possible. Oh, exactly. Exactly. It's always a new little wrinkle to it. That's for sure. Always. I, I do want to touch upon, you know, the topic of what makes the U.S. attractive to an international student who, you know, you mentioned somebody who was born, raised and trained in India. Why would they want to come to the U.S.? Because all we do is hear just really crushing negative feedback and negative headlines about how the U.S. system is such a disaster. Why would any doctor want to come here and practice? You know, I've, I've always asked myself that too um, the last 15 years. And I, I, it started with uh, career trajectory. Obviously, our healthcare system is very robust and has a lot of prestige worldwide. Um, it comes a lot with the universities that we have. So if you look at the top universities in the world, the United States has a, a good portion of those. Not saying all of them, but we have a very significant portion. And I, there are nuances, obviously, like our, you know, our research, our pharmacy industry, and the entrepreneurial state of it. But every country, there's a pocket of students that want to come to the United States. They want to go to Canada. They want to go to the United Kingdom. They want to go to Australia and Germany. They're looking to enter the healthcare system of one of these countries. And obviously, it's, it's, it's a lot to do too about stability, job stability. Every country has a different healthcare you know, situation, public, private. And you know, that's up to the student when they go into medical school to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do with my path. A lot of times medical school is relatively free or funded by the government in a lot of countries, especially in Europe um, and others. And that gives the ability of students to think about the next step. What am I going to do with my, you know, my savings to get me to the next step between my education, my school and my job? And I think it's in between that time that students make that choice. And I'd say, you know, the great thing what we're doing is not all of our students come and work here. I would say a majority want to come and work in, in the United States, but so many come here, learn about it, go into a, a tangential profession, go back home. They use it to learn a lot more. Um, but I would say it's really about that stability in the career. Becoming a U.S. physician has its security. I mean, even in the United States, that is a profession that you go to school and you tell your parents, I want to be a doctor. You know, that's something that's very prestigious. So I, I think it has something to do with that. But I would say that there are shortages all over the world. So while the United States is a great place for doctors that want to come here and work here, it's got to be balanced. We can't be taking doctors that are needed in other areas. So it's really something that you have to watch as well, you know, that mobility. But it's important to give people the freedom to mobilize as they wish as well couple of things you said, you know, that I wanted to go back and revisit. One, I'm so thrilled to hear you say that, you know, United States has a great reputation as being really great healthcare in the world because so many times we just beat ourselves up. And I'm like, well, well, let's separate the care and the expertise from the way the bills are paid or not paid. Let's, let's separate that, right? And I always say that, 
you know, when, when somebody has money abroad, they come to the U.S., right? Like we're not sitting here saying, oh, I need to get a knee done or this kind of thing. I need to go to country XYZ because American doctors aren't going to be able to take care of me. We don't have that problem. So I like to separate those two issues. The other thing that, that kind of like popped in my head as, as you were talking about that being the attractiveness coming into the United States, you know, it's stability. I just can't help but think, you know, if you're new here, you're coming in, what type of barriers do they see? And I'm talking like actual like doctors themselves, right? So not trying to grab residencies, not trying to get to medical school, but, you know, you're a fully licensed international physician coming into the United States. Like, what does that look like for me knowing that this is going to be better for myself and my family? Family is the first thing. Always thinking about how do I get my wife, my children, that piece is always the first thing they think about. They think about, and, and there's a process. If you're an international medical graduate, when you graduate college, there's a visa process. There's a process to get in and train. That's tedious. It's years that you have to wait to bring family members over, and that's a barrier in itself because you're split from your family for portions of time. Some people are able to bring their family right away if they get a certain type of visa. Some aren't. Aside from that, challenges, too, are just coming into a different country. And we like to call that acculturation, where many of the IMG doctors that I've met, they talk about medical English, learning how to speak like physicians here. And it's not just speaking English. It's, it's speaking the same bedside manner. And that's the step above that. It's why IMGs, there's just an extra layer of work that they obviously have to do to enter the system. And they're the hardest workers because they're doing that extra mile to get that far. And that medical English is one thing. And a great story I remember was I remember one doctor from India once telling me as a, as a kid that he would watch medical doctors from Hollywood on YouTube. And he would watch them, you know, uh, all the time to try to brush up on how the speak was in hospitals. And obviously uh, it's one way to do it. But, you know, there's, there's barriers that we don't hear about in, in that process, of course. <laughs> it's kind of like one of my favorite movies is Catch Me If You Can with Leo DiCaprio. And he forges all of his medical license and becomes a doctor just by watching <laughs> watching medical oh, shows. Exactly. Right? <laughs> wow. Not saying that they're forging anything like that. But no, you know, learning a, lot from, no. learning a lot from YouTube. I think YouTube could replace college in a lot of different ways. So that's that's a topic aside there. And it's only the mannerisms. I, I would say the the <laughs> amount of education you have to go to to become a physician is a marathon. And they're looking at that as really, how are they speaking what I know? It's nothing to do with the knowledge, nothing at all. No, it's not YouTube like, teaching me how to fix my dryer. There's, there's, a whole, <laughs> there's a whole other thing. And I think that'd be incredibly difficult as a non-English speaker coming in and just learning medical terms or names of medication. I'm like... I, I have a difficulty pronouncing them anyways, but let alone coming in here and speaking a completely different language. So yeah, kudos to them. Absolutely. Kyle, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor, Freedom Doc. Physician burnout is a killer. It is driving our best and brightest out of medicine. The only solution to burnout is to be your own boss. The easiest way to be your own boss, join the Freedom Doc Physician Network. Freedom Doc will fully finance your practice so that you can enjoy a healthier lifestyle Take better care of patients and spend more time with her family. You focus on patients. Freedom Doc focuses on your business. So if you're ready to be your own boss, visit our website, freedomdoc.care, to learn more and schedule a consultation with one of our experts. Freedom Doc, accessible concierge healthcare. Once again, we're talking with Kyle Swinsky, the CEO of AM Opportunities. Kyle, right before the break, we were talking about you know foreign physicians coming to the U.S. to practice. Just great timing. The state of Tennessee actually passed a very le friendly legislation on this, and I'm sure you're very much aware. 
saying that the state of Tennessee is going to grant provisional licenses to international medical graduates with full licenses in good standing in other countries and pass the same exams that our U.S. trained physicians do. Is that a game changer? I would say every single one of those helps. It's a game changer for the state, of course. During the pandemic, we started seeing many states introduce these bills to accelerate as there are a ton, I would say thousands of international medical graduates that have licenses in their home country that are in the country, United States, that even have visas or green cards that are here, but they can't get into the system. They're doing other jobs with all of those credentials that they have because the system won't let them join. And these types of bills are ways to get them in. So if you have parity with your licenses, if you have a medical license in our country that has similar standards and credentialing as the United States, let's make it easier for you to get into the system. And that's what those bills are doing. So I would say very landmark for the state. We need to see more of that for sure, especially when these are typically, again, these are doctors that are already here in the country, not doctors that are aspiring. These are doctors that are here. Now, it's a great point. It's not somebody trying to apply to come in, which, you know, you mentioned uh, what I'm going to just consider immigration reform, that <laughs> there's so many barriers for these intelligent people who want to come in here and take care of us, yet they can't actually bring their families over, all that kind of fun stuff. So to avoid any type of political footballs being passed back and forth, we're just going to stay off that topic for until another day and a couple of scotches later. God, I, want to, I want to talk about, you know, really the, really the man behind the microphone here, why are you doing this? Well, the company had a really interesting founding story where my background was helping international students um, about 15 years ago where I was very lucky to meet with different healthcare setting students from many different countries. And I, I found out that there was a true access issue. So the founding passion of the business was access to education. I didn't feel that it was fair that students from all over the world could not get in when it wasn't a visa thing, it was literally the doors of our hospitals and our clinics were not set up properly to allow many students to come in and obtain their training. So I, this is before even introducing international healthcare workers. This is just giving them a chance to step their foot in for a month and maybe go back home or keep on going to give them a chance to stay in. And my, I found my passion in access to education. So when we started the company, it was really about setting up a network of clinical training sites that were set up to train international students. And really over the last 10 years of the company, things have not stopped with that passion and that mission. Really, I'm still very excited about creating access. And the cool thing about what we do is that even while the international side of the business has grown every single year, we've been able to expand to bring U.S. students from nursing, from PA studies, from DO and MD schools also into our sites because it's not just a passion for teaching international students. It's a passion for access to education. And typically the profile of all these students is the same. They want to enter the career. They want to make a difference. And there's something that's blocking their way. And that's access to getting these clinical blocks, which, I mean, I had a scary story. I was at a conference this last week and a student came up to me, a physician assistant student, a U.S. student. And he told me that his entire class delayed graduation this year because they couldn't find pediatrics rotations. So we lost maybe 50 healthcare workers that could have been in the field right now for about six months to a year delay just because there wasn't training for them. And th these are U.S. students, very similar to the IMG that has access issues. But to your question, that's the crux of what I'm passionate about is how do we break down these barriers? So let's dive into that because, you know, that's something that I, I love talking to and 
And, you know, Freedom Health Works, we work with friendly medical schools to get exposure into the direct care, the concierge you know, medical model. And what I hear from the clients that we work with in our practice is, is this ability that says, you know what, before I did this and I was in an insurance-based practice, I didn't have time for somebody to shadow me and answer their questions while also getting through my 20, 30, 40 patients a day. So yes, the blame there for not being able to find rotations, you know what, it's on physicians because we need physicians to share their knowledge and almost like an apprenticeship standpoint. But at the same time, I sympathize with doctors saying, I have seven minutes with patients. I can't even look them in the eye and you want me to bring a student with me that's going to have 14 different questions about the interaction. That is unattainable. How do you react to something like that when you're like, yes, I understand that rotations are hard. We're trying, but nobody wants you. What do you say? Yeah. Well, first, you you agree. Physician burnout, the valuable hours with your patients are the number one priority. It's a concern. I mean, the first thing that we say is that's why we, we're here. Our platform is able to do all the administrative work that a lot of times physicians and teachers will do. So we've got this technology-based platform that does all of the credentialing, all the immunizations, the malpractice insurance, everything a site needs to the level of the site so that the physicians don't have to worry about collecting that documentation. They don't have to worry about getting their payments, any of that. That's all on us. And we provide dedicated staff to these sites to actually augment their education. So a lot of times we'll come to a, a physician that says, you know what? Teaching is all I want to do. Obviously, they say, but there are barriers to it. My patients are my barrier. My time is my barrier. They usually will say, I'm teaching maybe a few students, but I don't have space for any more. That's when we come in and say, but look, we could allow you to host just a few more if you allow us to use our staff, our technology, and our services to elevate that ecosystem. But I will say it's, it's harder than ever. I mean, the pandemic definitely put put a, a, you know, an emphasis on the burnout. And altruism is always going to be there. I mean, I've seen it and always, you know, doctors always want to get back. Nurses want to get back. They want to teach, but we need to find ways to alleviate that piece. hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Kyle, I'm curious about your, your business model and how it works. So if I'm an international student and I want to come in, I contact you, walk me through what happens next. Yeah. So we've got this platform where either an international student can go on and find the training they need or their school finds us. We work directly with the students and the schools. Um, if the student finds us, they'll search by location, specialty, find what they need like any other platform. But the fun stuff's on the back end. The fun stuff happens where if your school is working with us, there's a good chance that they're going to be able to provide you support, provide you credit, allow you to use this for your actual curriculum. There's exciting things too when schools use us where they promote us to all of their students and get students interested in our programs because the school says this is something you should take. So really, uh, that that's really all it is. The students can come and get that rotation, and they'll apply online. A great thing about our platform, our business model, is that most healthcare schools have a database of rotations, but they really don't know what's available. They can say, I've got a 1,000 sites, but I really don't know who's available in July, how many spots I have, and that's the friction we see in the system where students then have to go out and find on their own, or you have schools saying, well, I have to pick up the phone and call 100 of my sites. Our company has 1,100 training sites that are fully vetted, credentialed, and we know exactly the capacity for students. So we're able to guarantee students those placements, of course, based off of their credentials, 
but guarantee so that they don't have to apply to 10, 100, so they can dedicate their time to their studies. And same thing for the sites. If you're a hospital, if you're a physician, you are very likely getting requests left and right to train students. It's much easier if you're a doctor or a site to say, well, we'll work with someone to handle those requests so then they can focus on the patients. It's really about saving them time in the end. So your customers are whom? Students in schools are our payers. And then also our customers are our trainers, our faculty at the sites. Perfect. Thank you for sharing. And that's always like very, very interesting. You know, a lot of times when I ask that question, sometimes I get surprised by the answer that, you know, well, our bills are paid by this other entity over here that has no connection to what we're talking about or business. And you're thinking, okay, is there a conflict here? Where's your incentives? All that kind of fun stuff. But, you know, you guys, you know, following the money, it sounds like, no, we're in this for the best interest. We want our students to be happy. We want our facilities to be happy. We're one of the good guys, I, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say here. Our universities love working with us. It's one of those things where it's not nice to see students not graduate. I mean, not not from a operational standpoint, schools closed down, but from a people perspective. That's got to be so hard on you as a student if you're not allowed to graduate because you don't have one block of your training. Just as if you're an international student that you have these great credentials. Isn't it unfortunate that you just need one or three of these, but you can't find them? I mean, you got, you know, thousands and thousands of clinics and hospitals around the country that could. So that's, you know, that's where we fit in. Yeah. I'm curious because um, this has been something that I've I've been having a lot of conversations with the last couple of years. Are you seeing any residencies that are privately funded or is everything totally dependent on CMS and government dollars? I've seen some discussion of it. I know when we talk about residency programs that they're at the AMA they know that there's a need to get into it. I mean, through the ACGME, of course, but the American Medical Association believes that for whatever's going on right now is not working because it's still capped or not increasing the number of spots. So I would say that there, I would believe over time you're going to see more. You have seen a couple of success stories, but to get it really to move, I think it's going to take a few more years probably. That and the accreditation has to come with it, obviously, as well. Yeah. So that uh, you just pop out of residency. And if you don't have the right number or letters behind your name, then, you know, good luck. Kyle, last question for you. Thinking big picture, okay, and and I'm going to bring this down into what I believe is, is your world here. Where are opportunities and what type of reform would you implement if you were U.S. medical school residency uh, rotation czar of the day? Tuition-based uh, repayments uh, or career-based repayments of tuition. You see this a lot growing in the nursing industry where nursing schools partner with health systems where workforce is the overall goal here. Um, eventually, these healthcare systems who have the pain, who have the money to afford the staffing are the ones that are paying for the staffing. For some reason, you're still seeing the students take that debt, still see the students take on that burden early on when, unfortunately, that's the hardest time for them to afford it. The reform would be allowing more schools to tap into allowing healthcare systems to pay for that tuition where there'd be an attachment to working. Obviously, it's harder for medical students because you have residency programs. But if you could find ways to attach more objectively to the career and get health systems to repay that debt, as well as in the nursing field, what you're seeing is right away, if they train at that health system, they don't have to pay for that training. They just have to commit to maybe two years of work afterwards. I would say more reform in that because I mean, my firm belief is that education should be it, it, education isn't free, but the value should be it shouldn't be 
the burden of it shouldn't fall on the one that actually ultimately is going to be solving the workforce shortage. Just a quick follow up, because I, I love your solutions, but a lot of that is, you know, uh, repaying the debt, repaying the debt. What about is there any opportunity to drive the cost of medical school or medical education down? By partnering more with the health systems. So I think what we have seen is HCA bought Galen School of Nursing. You're seeing a Baptist health system form a DO school. By having that connection, the healthcare systems can subsidize and they can they can pay for that because then they have a direct pipeline to talent. So I think you could drive down the cost of medical school if you had more of the well, the cost itself, maybe not, because that is expensive, but who pays for it? I think could come down. I would say also maybe on the cost, what we look at as AMO is efficiency. So we see more students than any medical school on rotations in a year because our technology platform is really efficient at doing it. That could drive down the clinical education costs. But I still think in terms of alleviating the debt, it's much more on the health system side. Kyle Swinsky, CEO of AM Opportunities. Kyle, it has been an absolute pleasure. One of my favorite topics to talk about. So thank you for coming on the show, humoring me and walking us through your thoughts. Oh, thank you so much, Christopher. Really appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes. Subscribe to our mailing list and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all of our episodes. Visit the shop and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced and managed by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.